Ezra chapter 8, and last week we kind of, we stopped right in the middle of the chapter, but we're going to pick it up where we left off in, in verse 31, and uh, three things that I kind of just came away with in the section that we're going to be studying today. Uh, number one is uh, just an encouragement to seek after God uh, with all your heart, you know, to really uh, seek after Him. And then number two is to separate yourself from the ways of the world. Um, to, man, just pull yourself out, you know, and just uh, really uh, just, man, have that heart. Really leads to the third thing, and that is to stay uh, sensitive to sin. And by that I mean don't let the enemy, the world, the flesh desensitize you to the ugliness and the atrocities of what sin is. And so it really all begins with that first point. And uh, so we read here in Ezra 8, in verse 31, it says, And then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. And so we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. And so we kind of pick it up right in the middle of the story. Uh, this guy Ezra was a very godly priest. He was a scribe. In other words, he was a teacher. And so being over there in uh, captivity, to be a teacher uh, actually carried more weight almost than being a priest, you know, because they didn't have the temple over there. And so it was really important for them to learn the word of God. And so Ezra uh, was used by God in a mighty way in, in Babylon, but now God wants to bring him back to Jerusalem. Uh, some of you guys probably have been with us on Thursdays, and you might remember that the Lord had laid it on his heart to travel to Jerusalem and to serve the Lord and his people there. He probably didn't know what he was getting into. You know, just like if you sense a call into the ministry, you know, you don't know what you're getting into, man. It's a, it's a war, it's crazy. I mean, you got people that are addicted to crystal meth and they don't want to stop. And God is saying, you help them. You know, and you go and you're like, man, what can I do? You know, um, you go and you're involved in things, uh, heartache. I, I, I was telling you guys, like, you know, what keeps me on my knees is all the people that I see that are backslidden. You know, and we go through the trials that we go through, and, you know, sometimes people are saying, well, it's my kids or my husband, my wife, my, my physical trials or whatever, um, the financial woes that I have. And whatever it is, God's using something, I think, to keep us on our knees. But for me, you know, being a pastor and just being blessed to be involved in ministry, it's a heavy responsibility when you see people that are, are going and they're drifting away from God. And it's like, where will that lead? So, you know, it just brings us to our knees. You know, it's the, uh, Ezra doesn't know exactly what he's getting into. He's like, oh, yeah, I'd like to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go and, and teach the Bible, and it's going to be fun. And, and little does he know, man, that he's going into a war zone. So it's not going to be easy, you know. But God's calling him there. You know, it's a five thousand. I mean, it's a five-month journey. It's a thousand-mile journey. Not going to be easy. But the Lord brings him to that place. He knew some of the things, but he didn't really know all the things involved in ministry. 
And, uh, you know, when you look at this, it's, it's pretty neat. The lessons that we learn. Um, again, verse 31, they departed from the river on the 12th day of the first month, and they head up to Jerusalem. And I underlined this in my Bible. It says, And the hand of our God was upon us. I wonder if there's anyone here who would like that to happen, man. Do you want the hand of God upon your life? I mean, isn't that really the difference? Isn't that what we need? You know, I I wonder if there's anyone here who would like to be used by God, like Ezra was, to be a vessel for revival, to change a nation. You know, I don't know about you, but I I want that in my life. I, I, I pray that in my life. I want God to work in me. I want God to work through me. I want to see mountains move. I want to see lives saved, lives changed. I want things to happen in the the hearts of my children, in my wife's heart, my mom, my dad. I want God to move in a mighty way. I think of Almani. I think of Cambodia, Mexico, the surrounding areas here. We think of the English-speaking, the Spanish-speaking, the different languages that are coming in. We want God to move. The only way it's going to happen is if the hand of God, it says right here, is upon us. so, So question, how does that happen? Well, remember we read it last time. Go back to chapter 8. In verse 22, it says, For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. You see, there's a promise there that the hand of God will be upon us for good if we seek him. Straight out promise, question, are you seeking him? Are you really seeking him? I'm not talking about playing church. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, you you kind of throw one prayer up once in a while, and yeah, you know, you wear the t-shirt, and you know, you might, you know, listen to a Bible study half-heartedly while you're on the road. I mean, are, are you really seeking the Lord? Because if you are, the promise of God's word is that His hand will be upon you for good. And we got to capture that, you guys. I mean, I, I think I sense the Lord stirring something up here in, in my heart and in this church. I was really blessed last week uh, with just talking to a lot of different people. And they were telling me that this is the first time they had ever fasted for 24 hours. You know, just think what's going to happen when it's 48 hours. You guys excited about that? I mean, you know. I mean, just think what's going to happen, because this is, I'm calling, I just really feel at least once a month, we're going to be fasting for, for 24 hours, or I'm going to be calling and just asking, hey, how about praying all night? Jesus did. Um, between now and next time, pray about it, you know? And again, not to get weird or anything, but I think we just take it too lightly. You know, you got someone like Kobe Bryant or LeBron James or Stephen Curry, and they're they're just they're one hundred and ten percent rising early, working so hard for what a game. And what are we doing for God? How much are we really, truly seeking Him? 
You know, and then we, you know, we complain, oh, you know, whatever, and we start blaming on this and that and the other, when the, the whole problem is, is in your own heart. You're not seeking God the way that he's calling you to seek him. Because I tell you what, when you do, you're going to find him. When you do, his hand is going to be upon you for good. And when you don't, it says right there that his hand, his power will be against you. So I don't know about you, but I'd rather have his hand on me for good than it says right here, his power and his wrath are against those who forsake him. You can't blame it on God. It's, it's, it's what you want. It's what we want, you see. So I just want to encourage you guys to seek after God wholeheartedly, to, to really do that, you know. I mean, here's Ezra. He's sensing the calling of God to be there in Jerusalem, to serve the Lord. He travels for five months, a thousand miles, no planes, trains, or automobiles. It's not an easy thing. And, you know, according to chapter 8, verse 22, he has no military escort. He uh, actually communicated to the king there that God would guide them, that God would guard them, and by the grace of God, he did, right? He got them there safely, we read in verse 31. And, you know, uh, Ezra had a different approach than Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a military escort. Uh, Paul the Apostle had uh, a military escort as well, 470 soldiers to keep him safe. And so you might wonder, well, here's Ezra. He doesn't want no soldiers to keep him safe. Why not? And, and what we saw last time is from time to time, God will raise up a leader like Ezra who prays and proves without a shadow of a doubt that it's not your gun that protects you. It's not your, your watchdog that protects you. It's not your alarm system that you have installed that protects you. It's God who protects you. I mean, he can use all that stuff. You know, it's okay to have a gun or whatever, a Doberman pincher or whatever you think that you need to have. But man, in, the, in our heart of hearts, we got to know it's the Lord. And so we learn that from Ezra. And uh, he acknowledges that in verse 31. I mean, we went, we traveled, and the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy. That's cool. <laughs> and from ambush along the road. As I was studying this out, as a matter of fact, last night I was reading it with some friends. It was kind of cool. We were looking at different, you know, words that people had to say. And it was Chuck, and I think it was uh, one of the other pastors who was talking about how this is kind of like an analogy of our life. Life is like a journey. Life is like a journey, and we're on our way home. We're on our way to heaven, so to speak. And along that journey, the enemy is there to ambush us. He's hiding and lying in wait to attack us when we're kind of like not ready for that. I mean, that's life. And I'll tell you what, man, serving the Lord all the years that I've been blessed to serve him, I've seen a lot of people, unfortunately, they're on this journey and they just, for whatever reason, they're not on the journey anymore. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to take this seriously. You know, we need the Lord to protect us. we got to seek Him with everything that we are. I mean, here, He gives the glory to God, and that's where it belongs. You know, an ambush is a group of enemies hiding and waiting to attack their victims. And we as Christians, we speak often about being attacked by the enemy, right? Oh, yeah, the enemy is attacking me. Really, he's attacking you. 
Well, it's kind of cool because if you seek the Lord, He'll protect you from the attacks. He'll protect you from the ambush. I mean, it was God with Ezra, and it's God for us now. So back in chapter 8, he talks about the hand of God is upon all those for good who seek him. But his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. Look at verse 23. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. You know, I've been studying church history. I've been getting super blessed by it. I mean, to seek the Lord, to really seek Him, you're going to have to pray. So just, just be honest. Because remember, liars don't go to heaven, okay? Just be honest for a second. <laughs> How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Do you fast? You're like, yeah, Manny, I fasted last, uh, you know, whatever. And it's kind of funny how people do fastings, you know. They'll skip lunch, they'll skip dinner, and then they, I mean, they'll skip breakfast, they'll skip lunch, and then, then they'll eat three meals for dinner. Have you guys ever noticed that? <laughs> you know, the whole point about fasting is denying yourself. You know, what would you typically have for a dinner or whatever, breakfast, um, the whole point is, is, is denying yourself. You're saying no to you. You're saying yes to God. Your spiritual senses are then heightened. You're listening to the Lord, and, uh, and you're going to hear his voice. You're going to experience his power. I mean, there's just something there. That's why the Bible is filled with all the people that were disciplined, that sought God, and they prayed obediently, and they fasted. You know, and it just keeps coming back to this, huh? In verse 23, we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. You know, I think the Lord knows when we're just plain and when we're, when we're sincere, you know? And when he sees those that are sincere and those that are real, man, he's going he's gonna to bless. I mean, some are in church, and they're not really seeking after God. They want a guy. They want a girl. They might want gold. They might want glory. They want a position. They're not really there to seek after God. The Lord sees all that, you know? And so, you know, for us, I think just really encouraging you guys along that line, man, to really seek Him Bible says in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. If we seek God first, then that's our priority. Then in reality, we will be blessed with a successful ministry. What's ministry to you? Uh, your marriage. Your children. How about that? How about that? Is that huge? I mean, that's huge. What else? What else does God have for you? Well, whatever it is, it'll be successful as you seek God. You will not fail as a parent. You will not fail as a husband or a wife or in your marriage. It will bring glory to God when you seek Him first. And Ezra experienced the success of ministry. We see it here again in verse 32. We came to Jerusalem and we stayed there three days, and on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in, the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth and the son of uh, Uriah the priest, and 
With him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Jazabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benuai. With the number and weight of everything, all the weight was written down at that time. If you go down to verse 36, and they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. And so they gave support to the people and the house of God. And so in this case, one of the things that Ezra was responsible for in ministry was to deliver the silver and the gold and the articles. Uh, we saw last time it was probably about $23 million of provision for the people uh, there. And, you know, they would, they would use it. You know, they would use it for the outreaches. They would use it for the temple restoration. After, after all, it's been 60 years since the temple's been built, and so it probably has some dilapidation going on. This is all for the glory of God. It's a, it's a heavy ministry. And so last time we saw, there were 12 guys that were chosen. They counted everything before they left, and they made sure it was all safe. Nobody you know, went in and took anything, and when they got there... It says on the fourth day, they counted it all so that nothing was missing. And so a large part of that ministry was, uh, was provision. But, but the most important part of the ministry, I think, was people. And that's what we read there in verse 35. Check this out. It says the children. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. I mean, it's cool, you guys. You know, uh, God uses you and, and he provides. But I was telling someone today, I said, you know what? Just come, don't even give. Don't, 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 do, don't even give because you know what? The Lord will provide. Well, I care about you. Just, just you. Because it's not about the provision. It's about the people. And here we read about the children. And that's why it's so important that we live the life and we don't just preach to our kids, but we live the life. And we go to Jerusalem and we follow the calling of God in our life because it's our kids and our grandkids. You know, I mean, I don't know. What's more important than the people? And so here it's just so cool to see that those children, they came back to the land where they belong, and they were, they were offering uh, burn offerings, it says right there, and they were offering uh, sin offerings. What does that mean? It means that the children were forgiven. I mean, and that's what your kids need most, right? They need that that relationship with God in which they're forgiven. They need the sin offering. They need Jesus. You will be instrumental in bringing your children to Jesus. They need that sin offering, but then there's the burn offering, and the burn offering is symbolic of those who not just you know, come to Christ and they're saved by the skin of their teeth, but we're talking about people who are going to change the world because they are completely consecrated to God. That's what God's going to do in our life when we get our own life right. 
And then God's going to use your life to, to bless your children. You guys know, what does the Bible say? There's no greater joy than we see our children walking in truth, right? I don't know if you guys want joy. I mean, I think you probably do. Uh, you're going to find it there. And probably there's no greater heartache when, when, than when they don't. And so when you're looking at the life of Ezra, it's just so cool to see what ends up happening through a man who seeks God with all his heart, who doesn't just play church, but is real, who's the real deal. And he is on his face, he is on his knees, and he is seeking God with all his heart. He is saying no to himself. He's not indulging in the things of the world. He's fasting, and he believes in God. Why would anybody do that? Why would you do that? And I think it actually goes back to, to what I was talking about, um, you know, with, with, with Joshua and Katie going to Cambodia. To me, it's like they really believed. It's a childlike faith that we need to have. Uh, that, that's actually, it says, you know, God still does miracles. He really does. And I believe him. And that's why we would pray and we would fast and we would seek God the way that we should. And when we do the ministry, you know, it's cool. God brings success so to speak and not only provision but people i mean just whatever it is that god calls us to and so i think it's just so neat to look at at ezra and see the way number one he sought after god and the way god blessed him as a result of that i think we walk away with that lesson here but then number two is uh how important it is to separate yourself from the ways of this world uh, look at, at verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, And when these things were done, the leaders came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers have been foremost in this trespass. You know, Ezra has no idea that this is going on. You know, he feels a calling in his life. He goes to Jerusalem, and after he's there, you know, eventually some of the leaders come up to him and they say, hey, we got a problem here, man. And a lot of these guys, uh, they, what they've done is they've, they've mixed, they've intermingled with the world. They haven't separated themselves the way that they're supposed to. I mean, back in chapter 4, verse 1, man, they were really good at it now. It just all the all the the separation, all the sanctification, all the consecration, it no longer exists. I mean, here he is, think about it, Ezra, and his people that he's traveling with from Babylon, they're staying pure in the midst of a pagan land, but there are the Jews in Jerusalem there with the temple of, where, where the temple of God stands, not standing for God. They had come to a place where they were not only mingling with the world, but now they're marrying the world, they're 
full-on, you know, falling into that sin of uh, being unequally yoked with non-believers. And part of it's the, the, the fault of the kids, undoubtedly. A uh, large part of it is probably the, the parents who were giving their sons and daughters to the, to the non-believers so that the people of God got caught and were actually then caught up in the abominations of the nations. And so in verse 1, uh, some of the leaders let Ezra know. And in verse 2, uh, we see there that some of the leaders were actually leading the way in going away from God. And so that was the, the scene that, that they were in. They were violating Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 4, that says you're not supposed to marry a non-believer. Right? And so why is that? Well, God knew the non-believing spouse would turn their hearts away from him. And so in his love, he forbade them to marry a foreigner in those days. Uh, you know, the, the, whole, the whole craziness of being married to a non-believer. You know, if you're here and your spouse doesn't know the Lord, you know, um, I want to encourage you to love them. First Peter 3, it talks about, you know, loving your husband who doesn't know the Lord, and you can win them to the Lord. But if you're here and you're single, and, you know, you, you, know you don't have the gift of singleness, I want to I beg you, I, I beg you, please, don't flirt with fire. Don't go anywhere near someone that you might be interested or in or they might be interested in you and they're not a Christian. And what you do, a lot of times what happens is people do missionary dating and they're like, oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll win them to the Lord. Man, hey, I'll date you. You, you know, beat me at church and stuff. And I know I've seen crazy things happen. Um, we have seen, unfortunately, many times where that person who is so right on they love the Lord. There's a calling on their life, but then they go and they meet somebody out there that doesn't know the Lord, and they take them away from God. But a lot of times, you know, what ends up happening is they, they play with sin rather than running from it. You know, we got to be so careful. I remember hearing a story about a guy who was looking for a limo driver and uh, he, he wanted someone good. He wanted a good driver. And so what he did was he, he, he interviewed three guys, and he says, okay, I want to see who can, you know, get the close. How close can you get to that wall without scratching my paint? And uh, the first guy said, I, I, can get six, I, can, I can get six inches. That's how good I am, you know. I can get that close not without scratching the paint. And so then the second guy says, well, I can get three inches, Right. Uh, without scratching the paint. And so then you ask the third guy, well, can you top that? And the third guy says, I'll tell you what, I'll stay far, as far away from that wall as I can because I don't want to scratch your paint in any way. And I think that that's the way that we need to be when it comes to stuff like this, you guys. And it's not just the single person here, you know, who's dabbling with uh, being unequally yoked. It's all of us here. You know, when we don't separate ourselves from the things of the world. You know, we have to really search our heart, you guys. Uh, the Bible says, uh, do not be conformed to this world. You know, we have to be so careful. We're not spotted by the world, that we don't love the world. You know, that's where they were, and they lost the fire. They lost their relationship with Jesus Christ. 
You know, here were these spouses, and even Nehemiah later on, he deals with it in Nehemiah 13, 26. He uh, has to rebuke them later, and he said, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. I mean, think about that. Solomon, the wisest man ever. I mean, but he went that route. He had pagan wives, and they caused him to stray from God. And if that could happen to Solomon, then, of course, we know that can happen to us. You see, your spouse is supposed to help you in holiness, not cause you to sin. How we really need to be so careful. You know, I was reading a story. I don't know if you guys ever heard this gal um, in church history. Her name is Olympias. And uh, she was a, a very wealthy young lady. I mean, buku bucks. And, uh, and she got married at a very young age. Her husband died. And so at the age of 24, she was wealthy and single. And so all the guys were after her. I don't know, she's probably pretty too, but I think it was primarily because of the money she had, right? But you know what? She had come to a place in her life where she said, you know what, I, I'm not, that's not my focus right now. My focus is God. And what she began to do with the money that she had was she would buy slaves and she would set them free. And buy slaves and set them free. She started giving her money away to charities. And so the emperor of the day was upset. He said, man, this gal has got all this money. So what the emperor did was he sent his son to try to, you know, win her, you know, to be, you know, his bride. And, and she said, no, uh, you know, get out of town, clown. She just didn't want any part of it, right? And the emperor got so mad that, you know what he did? He took all her money away. He confiscated all her property. And so you know what she did? She thanked him. She said, thank you. Because those worldly possessions, they were possessing me. And here's this single gal, 24 years old, not interested in getting married, not interested in the things of the world. She gives it all away. And when the emperor takes the rest, I mean, we're talking, you know, buku bucks, she thanks him. So you know what the emperor does? He gives it back to her. (laughs) And so then you know what she did? She gave it all away. She had nothing left. And for the rest of her life, she stayed single, but she ended up with a great friend. A great friend. His name is John Chrysostom. And if you guys ever get a chance, read some of his writings. He's one of the most amazing Christian men that the church has ever produced. But here was a a young lady who fell in love with Jesus Christ. He was her everything, you see. And that, unfortunately, what happens a lot of times is that people are, you know, young ladies or young guys, they're, they're, I mean, it's like, no offense, I know it's difficult, man, but, I mean, it's like, Jesus, you got Jesus. I tell you what, he's enough. You follow him, he'll bless you. If, if he wants to bring someone into your life, let him do it while you're seeking God with everything you are, because if not, 
You're going to ruin your life. We have to seek God with all of our heart. We're talking praying and fasting like never before. Not playing church. Not say, well, I went, you know, but did you really go? Did you, did you really pray or not? If not, come on. I mean, it's time. I was, I was thinking about how even in sports, you know, we see like some teams and they're not giving 100% effort. And then finally something snaps and it's like, and they finally begin to play, and then you wonder, well, what were you waiting for? What, 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 were you, what are we waiting for? What do, why won't we pray the way we should? Why won't we fast the way we should? Why won't we live the way we should? Why won't we love the way we should now? Why are we waiting? Because when you seek God, His hand will be for you, upon you, blessing you, using you, giving you a ministry that you would never even begin to imagine, blessing your children, your children. I mean, what are we waiting for? You know, to seek God and to separate ourselves from the world. And, you know, from what I've seen, and I, I know how it is, you guys, I mean, I don't know if this is relevant or not, but... You know, I was really tempted to watch the basketball game yesterday, you know, because I haven't seen a basketball game really like the whole thing all year. I don't think I have. And so like, I'm like, okay, I want to watch it. But, you know, I turned it on and thank God the Golden State Warriors, they were just getting killed. I turned it off and then we got into the word. And I was, even though they lost and my heart was a little far down here, <laughs> afterwards I was so blessed you know and again I don't want to be weird I'm not saying you can't watch a basketball game that's between you and God you know and there'll be times where I'm going to do it I might whatever this and that but I tell you what the things of the world and the influences of the world and the expectations of the world and you got to look a certain way and you got to have a certain house and make this much money and all that kind of stuff where does that come from? I tell you what, if it gets in the way of my relationship with God, I don't want anything. I don't want anything like that. You know, it could be food. I mean, I struggle with food. I was telling some of the guys, I like to go home and, you know, I'll, I'll eat a good breakfast. I'm serious. I'll have orange juice, a banana, strawberries, and I mix it all up together, and I'm all, yeah, here we go, Lord. And then, then I'll have a nice lunch. I'm serious. Ask Henry. I'll get yogurt and walnuts and some granola have a grapefruit for whatever snack, but then when it comes to dinner, oh, pray for me, man. Because I think I have 37 bags of chips, and <laughs> after my hamburger, I'll go home and have a quesadilla, and the Lord's like, what happened to you? And, and in my own life, this is just my own life, and I don't know if anybody can, if it makes any sense to anybody else, but it's the Lord, he's just saying, are you willing to say no to your flesh? And that's, that's where the battle is. You know? And I'm reading about all these guys in church history and the way God used them. And yeah, some of them are probably to an extreme, but it doesn't mean that there's nothing good about it. And the Lord is just challenging me, Manny, you know, it's not just two-thirds of your day, son. I want your whole day. And when you go home, I want you to be in the Psalms. And I want you to be, you know, you pray in the morning and noon, I want you to pray at night like Daniel did. That's me. I don't know if that's you or not. But God is just saying, I want all of you. Don't, 
get caught up in this world. Got to be so careful. These guys, they, they started going that route. You know, there are two people in the Bible that were really messed up <laughs> with uh, being unequally yoked. One of them was Solomon and the other one was Samson. And uh, Samson, you guys probably know his story, right? He's often described as a he-man with a she problem, right? And that can happen to any of us married guys too, where that girl comes in. And, you know, uh, Samson's first words in the Bible, are they're interesting. His first words in the Bible are that he, I have seen a woman. That's his first words in the Bible, and a lot of guys, man, that's their first word and their last words, you know. And what ends up happening, the Bible says she reduces you to a crust of bread. When I was a kid, I used to take the crust and I used to throw it away. And it's almost like God is saying that. You know how we have to be so careful, right? Uh, how we need to make sure that they don't capture our hearts. A lot of times, it's sex. It's sex. It's the opposite sex that ruins someone's life. Maybe you're here today and you're a sister and you're married and there's some guy that's showing you attention at your job and you're eating it all up and God is trying to warn you today, Miha, I love you. Be careful. You know, your heart belongs to your husband. Or maybe you're here and a husband and, you know, the enemy's trying to set you up too. He's got some Delilah right there. You know, be so careful, you guys. I, I, I heard something interesting. It was from Illinois' Department of Natural Resources. And it said this. This is a report that 17,000 deer are struck by motorists every year on state roads in Illinois. And the report said that the peak season for roadkill is late November. And so they're hitting these deer. I guess most of them are getting hit in late November, Right. And you'll never guess why it's late November. It's because that's when the bucks mate, okay? And according to the report, what ends up happening is the deer are concentrating almost exclusively on that, right? The reproductive activities. So they lose their wariness. They lose their sense of direction and caution, and are therefore killed. And that's what happens to some guys, some gals. They lose all sense of, I'm going to lose everything. And you could be a single guy and you're struggling with some type of sexual sin. And you will lose everything because you didn't take it to the cross. Because you didn't realize that God does not play games. That God is real. You got to seek him. Right? I mean, it doesn't just kill deer. It kills men. And for us, we have to make sure we understand God wants us to overcome. I mean, for Samson, you know, later on, eventually, Delilah cut his hair. But you guys know his strength wasn't in his hair, huh? It was in his commitment, man. Because the Bible talked about Samson over and over again. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. It's the Spirit of the Lord. That comes upon us and gives us strength to overcome. But we have to make sure that we seek God with all that we are. I read a story about two monks that were by the river one day. And uh, as they were there by the river, 
a gorgeous gal comes and she explains to them that she needs to get to the other side. And so one of the monks immediately takes her, he picks her up, puts her on his shoulders and he carries her to the other side and he comes back. And so the monk that was sitting there the whole time, he saw him do that and he said, I can't believe you just did that. He said, we have made a vow not to look upon a woman and here you've not only looked on her, you've touched her. To which the monk replied, I took her across the river and left her there. But you got her in your heart. And God knows. God knows. How can he bless that when there's lust in your life? How can he bless those weeds of wickedness? How we have to make sure that we guard our hearts. You guys, I'm telling you this, not because trying to be hard on anybody, but because I want to see God move in our life. It, it kind of leads to the last point. Look at this. This is crazy, man. It says in verse 3, So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard. Think about that. I mean, you can visualize him tearing his outer and inner garment, but can you visualize him pulling out clumps of hair? Try it. If you would, just, just try it. <laughs> I tried it. And I'm like, man, you know. And look, it says right here, and he sat down astonished, astonished. And then everyone, I love this, who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat down astonished until the evening sacrifice. And, and real quick, I don't want to go over uh, too, too long. Uh, the, the last point is this, man. Stay super sensitive to sin. Stay super sensitive, you know? I mean, I, I would say that a large part of the church, that the reason we struggle is because we have been desensitized to it. Um, the dictionary defines desensitization as making someone less likely to feel shocked or distressed at scenes of cruelty, violence, or wrongdoing by overexposure to such things. And so we're like, oh yeah, another person, you know, they, they fell away, they're getting high, they're doing crystal meth, they had an affair. Oh yeah, another person, um, you know, they got married to a non-believer, and it doesn't shock you. It doesn't rock your world. It doesn't floor you like it did Ezra. And it, and it should floor us. I mean, to the point where I'm not necessarily saying you're going to tear your clothes, but the, what's the equivalent of it in your life? What, what is Ezra doing here in a nutshell? Is because of this, he is just going to seek God with all of his heart. And I read a story about a Muslim lady. She found out that her daughter got married to a non-Muslim. This is just in the news yesterday. And so she, uh, she wooed her daughter back because they said they wanted to have a reception for her. And, and then they burned her to death. Have you guys heard that story? It's this is a crazy story. So, so when someone else falls into sin... You know, we might like kick them, beat them, hurt them, burn them, whatever, get mad at them, yell at them. 
That's not what Ezra did. He tore his own clothes. He pulled his own hair out. He fell on the floor and he was astonished. And we're going to see in verse 5 that he fasted and he sought the Lord. That's what we got to do. That's what we got to do. I think that, that when we come to that place, and you, you really, nothing's going to happen unless you come to that place where I'm going to seek God with everything that I am. I'm going to pray the way that I should. I'm going to fast the way that I should. I'm going to be in the Word the way that I should. I'm going to be seeking Him the way that I should. I'm going to separate myself from the ways of the world the way that I should. I'm going to believe in Him that He really will do miracles if I seek Him with all my heart the way that I should. When you come to that place, I think it's then that we're going to be, be able to taste a little bit about what, what Ezra's lesson is all about. Because at the end of the day, Ezra's name, it means help. His name means help. And I, I can't think of, of, of any more noble, wonderful, truer purpose in life than that God would, would use us, that God would, would help us to help others. And that's where Ezra was going to be. You know, God's going to use him. There's going to be revival. People are going to be pulled out of the flames and they're going to get saved. Families are going to be restored. Relationship with God is going to be made right. God is going to help him help others. You guys, and that's what God wants to do with, with your life. You know, the cool, the cool thing about this is that I don't know how you feel about this. You like you're like, well, it, it sounds impossible. I, I don't think God can can do that through my life and and all, all that kind of stuff. And I just want to encourage you guys uh, along this line that Jesus is here to help you. That Jesus is here even now to forgive you if you want to offer up that sin sacrifice and accept Christ. Jesus is here to to meet with you and you're like, Lord, tonight, and I know it's just a regular Thursday night, but I want to offer up a burnt sacrifice. Tonight I want to make a decision that I'm all in. I'm going to stop playing church. Lord, that tonight I'm just going to surrender my life to you. I know, Lord, I've blown it, but Jesus, I'm just asking for help. You know, we had some friends over and uh, we'll have the musicians come on up, you guys, and... Uh, you know how it is when you have all the kids. You guys know how it is when all the kids are, are in the house? And, um, you know, whatever they're playing and whatever, you're doing your thing and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden you hear like a thump. Usually it's a thump or a noise and then a cry. You guys ever, you know what I'm talking about? And then somebody, one of the kids is crying, right? And then what does the parent do? Immediately. They're like, they're there to help. Right, and, and, and what I want to encourage you guys to do tonight is to know that if you cry, your father is here tonight to hear that cry and, to, and to, to lift you up, to hold you in his arms, to restore you to himself. Your father, 
he he probably is you know he's watching over us but when you acknowledge that pain or that that failure and you cry you make some noise he's going to meet you there but it's in your it's in your hands it's in your heart it's in your lips it's in your your volition you have to choose to cry out to him tonight and so I pray that you would you guys I pray that you would since we have Angel here you know it's a special occasion and thank you guys so much for traveling 150 miles to come and be with us uh, here but um, kind of like Ezra you know going the thousand miles because God had called him maybe we can close with a couple of songs you know and uh, and really sing it to Jesus really surrender to Jesus and as we do that in song and in prayer and in our hearts uh, just lifting our voices to him I believe that if you want it man I believe that he is able to give us a new start 